0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and this week's episode is covering a crazy album, none other than Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's Arcus. This album came out in 1971, contains one incredibly epic 20 minute track and six other songs because that's all they had room for. Uh, but we're going to get into it. My introduction with this album. Um, well, I should proceed a little bit and say uh, that as of right now, it's looking like um, I'm going to be on hiatus through the month of August, getting everything moved over to the new distributor. If all goes well, um, I won't know for sure until I finish the Uriah Heap stuff, which will be uh, mid-July. I'm uh, recording this um, on, on uh, June 20th, so a little ahead of schedule. But uh, so there, everything will be kind of on hold uh, through August because I have to release the last episode and then give it a little bit of time for everybody to hear it and then uh, start moving things over. So I'm um, very excited though, to, uh, to work with the new distributor, see how everything works, but I should be able to uh, not have any other interruptions because of it. Everything looks like it's going to go fairly smoothly. It's just going to be a matter of all the time it's going to take to uh, generate and relink everything on the websites because, you know, this is uh <laughs> There's a lot of episodes already, uh, to relink this is episode. Uh, if everything stands as it is, as I'm recording it, and there aren't any additional episodes that I record, this will be episode number 343. You'll know if that stayed the case, uh, by looking at your podcast player, but, um, but yeah, so I've got to give a little bit of time and then time to move everything over and relink almost 350 episodes. So that's going to, um, be a lot of effort. So there won't be any new shows coming out. What I'm hoping is that um, the interruption with your um, server will not be too long, but maybe like a day or so where episodes won't be available to listen to. Um, I don't know if you're going to have to unfollow the current um, version of the podcast and then follow the new version. I guess if your stuff doesn't come back, Uh, you know, if, if you notice from, um, you know, the time that you notice there are no more episodes to, um, you know, within a day or so, they're not being episodes populating. That may be the case. I'm not sure. I'll probably have a better idea, um, after I've done the Uriah Heap one, and then, um, I'll be able to announce, make an announcement on this show before. So I don't know. It's kind of silly to speculate because I really have no idea, but that may be a thing that we'll have to deal with in any case uh we're talking about Tarkus i love this album i i think i mean i i knew still you turn me on i may have known some of brain salad surgery before tarkus i'm not positive but uh once i heard tarkus i was like holy shit this is just a, an amazing epic journey uh the whole album is really but especially the song tarkus And um, I'm actually going to do a little bit bigger of a breakdown of that song than I normally would, because normally I just play a minute of the song and don't do like a a whole deep dive. But this is a 20 minute long epic, all kinds of changes in different parts in it. So I'm going to dig into it a little bit deeper than I normally would. Um, I remember when I interviewed David Stone. I think it was when I interviewed him or it may have been one of the other times that we talked, but when he did his audition for Rainbow you know, uh, to be a part of the, uh, long live rock and roll version of the band. He came in and auditioned with, uh, part of Tarkus, the, the opening of it, because it was really intricate the way it's played. And he's used to playing bass on a keyboard. So, um, that was one of the things that impressed, uh, Richie into giving him the job and, uh, not surprising because it's, um, pretty, pretty damn amazing piece of music. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Emerson, Lake and Palmer, as the that three piece band only one time. It was back in the late nineties. I remember, um, I was living in, I think it was Denver. It might, it was, it might've been one of the Denver suburbs, I think at the time. And, um, we had just opened the new pro sound store in Littleton. And, um, I think we were like, like three or four days after the grand opening. And I had been working you know, like 12, 14, 16 hour days, just completely exhausted by the time that we got to the grand opening. And that was when Dave Weckel came out. And um, so a few days later, um, they were doing a show in uh, Green, Greenwood Plaza. And I always want to say it's Tavern on the Green, but it's like Greenwood Village, I think was the name of the venue. And it was Dream Theater, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Deep Purple. Absolutely amazing show. Deep Purple would have been on the abandoned tour. I'm not sure if Emerson, Lake and Palmer was supporting a newer album. I know it was after Emerson, Lake and Powell. Uh, But anyway, I got to see them. Caught the very end of Dream Theater, just the last couple songs by the time that I was able to get out of the store and get down to the venue and get parked and all that. Um, Was very, very fortunate to get a backstage pass, although I didn't meet any of the ELP members that night. Um, I did meet, uh, Roger Glover and had a, you know, wave with Steve Morse, but, um, Emerson Lincoln Palmer was amazing to see live the, the rich and full sounds that these guys made live as a three piece. And I know a lot of that was, you know, the way that Keith Emerson had, uh, you know, pre-programmed things and, you know, made it to where he could play multiple things at the same time because he was just a, an unbelievably amazing player, very much regret not ever meeting him uh, when he would make appearances for Moog at the NAMM show, I would, you know, I would come by and he was always away. And so, uh, the last year that he was alive, I was bound and determined. I said, I, no matter what, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to make it a mission to meet Keith Emerson this year. And, um, it was, that was, uh, shortly before that show was when he committed suicide. So I never did get to meet him. Very sad. Um, all because he couldn't play anymore. And I get that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to judge the guy on it. Um, horrible thing to do. No doubt about that. But, but I understand where he was coming from. That was his life. And, uh, when you can't do that anymore, uh, I I could see things being pretty grim. Um, and then Greg Lake died. Uh, I don't think it was too much later than that, but, uh, in any case, I did get to meet Carl Palmer for a couple of minutes when he was on tour coming through Vegas with the Emerson, Lake and Palmer legacy band, his band, uh, a guitarist and a bass player doing the songs of King Crimson, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Arthur, Arthur Brown, Asia. It, it was just mind boggling to see there not being a keyboardist there, but yet feeling like there was a keyboardist there. I mean, just incredible what those guys were able to do. Uh was hoping there would be a meet and greet you, you never know, even if there's one the night before at a different venue, doesn't necessarily mean the venue that you go to will have one. But I was able to meet all the guys in the band, um, you know, talk to them about what, you know, how amazing that whole experience was. Did get to spend a little bit of time with Carl. He did actually remember that tour, which is amazing. Cause I don't know how many tours the guy has done in his life between, uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer and Asia and you know, all the other stuff that he's done. Um, can't even imagine the the number of times he's been around the world, but he did remember that tour he said it was a lot of fun he had really good memories of that, so that was nice um remember one Christmas my parents got me a Carl Palmer book that had uh i I really wish I could read drum music that very well at the time I was very much a novice, so it was more about the pictures <laughs> than anything else the pictures of his drum kit and wishing I had it but uh, I, I remember a story of him bringing his drums up to the Swiss Alps and, uh, and, and just trying to imagine how amazing that would be for your drums to be echoing off the mountains like that. I mean, the closest that I ever came was when I played at Red Rocks in Colorado, um, just setting up my bass drum and hitting it once and just listening to it reverberate off the rocks was the most incredibly beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. And uh, to this day, I can remember that moment exactly. Well, at least I hope I remember it exactly. It could be completely wrong. I don't know. But um, that was the closest I ever came to playing in the Alps. Very good uh, for Carl, although with as big as his kit is. God, I hope he didn't bring the whole thing (laughs) because that would be a chore. Um, But very, very cool to meet him. Um, I did get to see him again perform at a, uh, a another larger scale concert where he was doing some with the Emerson Lake and Palmer uh, legacy band. He also did uh, and Arthur Brown came out and sang, which was great. And then um, he did some stuff with uh, some of the members of Asia, which was really nice too. It was, it was just an amazing uh, a night. John Lodge and the Moody Blues were there. Um, yes was there. Uh, got to see Steve Howe play. Um, just a, an absolutely fantastic night of, uh, of classic Classic music that is very dear to my heart, much like this album. So this album, Tarkus, is a summer album to me, which is why I wanted to cover it here in the summer. Um, I remember I got away from it for a long time, and then when I moved up to uh, the Denver area to uh, work at at the Pro Sound store in Westminster, and I was living in Southeast Denver at the time, um, I had a good forty-minute drive to the store. So I started looking for like longer pieces of music to study while I was in the car, and uh, this was one of the first things that came up was to really dig into Tarkus and not just listen to it for enjoyment, but to really dig in and understand the layers and just how much depth the song really has and, and what creative genius, uh, it 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 has that constructed it. Um, I don't know anything about how the band put it together, so I can't say well. Carl wrote this part or he said, hey, we should add this here. Like, I have absolutely no idea what their writing process was. I can assume a lot of it came from Keith Emerson because it's such a keyboard heavy song. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. I mean, Greg Lake could have come up with a lot of the ideas on guitar and then Keith played them on keyboard or however they did it. No idea. What I do know is that at the end of the day, we have a very, very epic song. And um, the actual count is 20 minutes and 42 seconds, which is just, uh, you know, insane. So I'm going to play uh, the beginning of it and I'll break in uh, and, and we'll talk about it and then we'll move forward through different parts of the song. I'm not going to do a full breakdown on it like I would have on uh, the Magicians podcast, but I am going to talk about a couple of the parts uh, that I find especially interesting. But this opening, this is what David Stone played for Richie Blackmore when he did his Rainbow Audition. So yeah, it's very very progressive, um a lot of changes even in that uh, little bit. So you kind of know it, and it feels like an overture, right? You kind of feel like this is actually uh what we're going to get throughout the album, but it's not um it's really just for this song and uh you you know it's just going to be packed packed with changes, packed with adventure and excitement and all over the place. The song is going to be changing constantly, which makes it um a lot of fun. You know, you're you're just taking off at, at high speed and um, wondering where the journey is going to take you. So, I'm going to move a little bit forward to uh, where the vocals start, and um, we'll hear a little bit of that.
1: Has the dawn ever seen your eyes?
0: So we've gone from this really heavy intro and we've gone through a couple of different parts and it backs off a little bit, but it's still pretty busy. Um, You know, even during this, there's some really nice cymbal swells coming from Carl Palmer, uh, great vocals and bass by Greg Lake. And of course, you know, Keith Emerson's uh, carrying a lot of the uh, melody and stuff on his shoulders throughout the song. But it's it's really unexpected. You wouldn't expect a quiet vocal the way that the song started out. And, you know, you just know that bigger things are coming. So I want to move ahead in the song a little bit. Um, It goes on for a while. And here's where uh, there's a change, starting with the the, uh, end of the verse here, and going into a little bit of where it starts to just get crazy. It's just, it's beautiful and utter chaos at the same time. It's got such a tight syncopation to it. Everybody's got to be where they have to be. And that's it. I mean, you can't be a 64th note off and have this not start to fall apart, you know. Um, But you're talking really, really good performers. Obviously, there's, you know, some jazz influences with this band, um, which we'll hear throughout the album. But there's just an amazing unity between the three of them in, a, in this song. And this is a great example of how tight a band they really were. Um, we're going to step, skip ahead to uh, another part here that I want to play for you. Uh, one of my favorite parts in the song.
1: The preacher said a prayer, save every single hair on his head, he's dead the minister of hate had just arrived too late to be spared who cared the wheel and the plan they made the building wandered in committing every sin that he could so good the colonel of grief was setting the belief he'd be saved from the grave the wheel and the
0: Love that line the weaver and the web that he made i have always love that line um this is really the song that inspired me to get an Elise's qsr which was the rack amount version of the uh, elisa's qs series keyboards and the reason is because they had um a lot of sounds that that keith emerson used um, they had a, a what was called the trilogy lead which was was from a, a different song but uh, somewhat similar to one of the synths on here. And then they had a couple other synths that were like this synth that he's using in this part. Um, very, very uh, on par with his sounds. And, um, and, and I absolutely loved it. I'm like, I really want to play with sounds like that. And, you know, I didn't a whole lot. Uh, that was the funny thing. Cause when I got the unit, and I would pull up one of those sounds. I'm like, all right, let me see what I can do with this. I was like, it just sounds too much like Keith Emerson. And that's not the way I'm writing. It's uh, it doesn't fit. So I didn't end up using a whole lot of those sounds, which is what made me buy the item in the first place, which was absolutely ironic. Um, I still own it. It's it's uh, still here in my rack. I have all of the cards, all the different sound banks uh, that you could get and the memory card. I've got all of that still. Um one day when I get through all of my older songs, re-recording them in that, I'll probably sell it off uh, along with my Corgan um, 264 sequencer. But for now, I need those sounds. So they're going to hang out with me for a little bit longer anyway. But uh, really cool part. Um, I, I love, again, you know, the transition. Like When you're hearing these individual parts, you're not hearing how they transition from one part to another. I'm just picking choice spots in the songs. But it's really just the whole thing is is a magical woven tale that uh, it it just flows so smoothly from one part to another. It's really unbelievable how finely crafted this song is. Um, There's a couple other parts that I want to play for you. Um, This next part is probably, uh, I want to say probably my favorite part of the song. Um, There's just something really haunting about these synthesizers. And I I love the melody of it. It's got such a great feel. Again, it changes the song completely once again. Um, There's a nice little uh, drum part where we're going to hear some really heavy flange on the drums as they make this transition. Uh, So uh, let's check it out. the way the organ sounds on that there's a part uh that comes on on later um where it's it's a little bit more reverbed and and just really sounds haunting to me in that moment and that I've always loved that um, but I don't know if those were backwards guitars or if uh, he was just working with the uh like the the volume dial or what but I really love how those guitars just kind of like come out of nowhere and then they're gone again just a really nice fill in effect. But this is such an epic song. I mean, you guys are really just getting bits and pieces of it. Like I said, it's almost 21 minutes and uh, just full of changes. I'm only really scraping the surface with you. If you guys like what you hear and, you know, if you're a fan of progressive rock at all, I can't imagine that you don't like it. Um, Go and check out the full song. Seriously. It's it's in. And even if you're just a fan of technical music or music that is, uh, you know, really well constructed and has lots of stuff going on. It's a great piece to study. You could probably do a whole thesis on it. I'm sure people have many times before. Um, but I would highly suggest checking it out cause it's, it's just, it's Epic, absolutely Epic. That's, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the word Epic, but I will say this is what that word is designed to describe massive and epic are the two words that I would use to describe this song. And to get to see both Emerson, Lake and Palmer and uh, the Carl Palmer Legacy Band perform this song. um, I saw them twice and I saw Emerson, Lake and Palmer perform it once um, was just it it was nothing short of spectacular, absolutely spectacular. And uh, boy, if there if there were you know, if you get like, you know, 20 moments or whatever in time that you could re re-experience in your life before you die, I would love to re-experience seeing Emerson, Lake and Palmer play this song back in Colorado at uh, Greenwood village. It, um, it was, it, it, I mean, I'm kind of getting choked up now thinking about it. I, I wish I could remember more of the details of it because you know, it came and went, I was a little nervous cause I knew I had the backstage pass. Um, I didn't know who I was going to get to meet. I was so excited. And I'm like, what if I go in the wrong door? What if I can't find it? What if I do something wrong? I mean, I had all these things going through my head. At the same time, I'm trying to enjoy this amazing concert of, you know, two of my uh, favorite bands. So uh, it was a pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy event. Interestingly, uh, my ticket where I was see, I was supposed to, a friend was supposed to meet me there and he couldn't make it. He was going to drive down from Boulder, but um, he didn't end up making it. So I was there by myself and, uh, I, I turned out that I was sitting next to Steve Morris's cousins and, uh, they were really nice. Uh, I remember chatting with them a little bit here and there. They weren't as familiar with the, with, uh, deep purple as I was, but, uh, they were really nice people. And then I saw them again in the green room, but I didn't want to bother them. You know, I didn't want to bother Steve. Cause I'm like, well, you know, He's with family. I'm sure that they just want to catch up and spend some time together. So I didn't really go over and talk to him. But they must have said something about me to him because he looked over and smiled and waved, and I smiled back and waved. Um it would be years before I would actually meet him at the NAM show. I think it was the 20 is it the 2020 or the 2020. Yeah, it was the 2020 NAM show because it's been um almost three and a half years now since I met him. Uh, for the second time. But I also did a uh, solo masterclass with him as well. And when I say solo, I don't mean it was just him and I. Uh, It was a a group of people, but it was about um, soloing techniques, which we talked about a little bit. But we also talked about all kinds of things. And uh, Woosh had uh, not come out yet, but the singles had and uh, nothing at all had come out. And this starts with a really crazy guitar intro. And um, he played it for us. He couldn't remember it because uh, they hadn't rehearsed the song since they had recorded it um, because tours were still a while off. This was during COVID and uh, got to see him play that and a bunch of other stuff and, uh, you know, listen to some of his stories and see how he develops his technique. I mean, it was just such an amazing hour and a half or two hours of, of my life. Uh, so glad that I got to see that. Um, but in any case, we're talking about Emerson, Lake and Palmer. So yeah, this was uh, this was just such a an influential song on me. It really... Uh, I think opened me up a lot to musical possibilities. I had heard progressive music before. Um, I had not heard King Crimson yet, so I wasn't familiar with songs like uh, "In the Court of the Crimson King" or um, "21st Century Schizoid Man." But uh, but this was a a huge eye opener for me as what was possible with music outside of rock and roll and you know um, like Motown and pop and all that stuff. This really. Uh, made me go, wow! Music can do so much more than just be music that's great to play on a radio or be a bo you know an extra filler track on an album or whatever. Music really has a lot of power. So uh, I akin what I've learned from this probably more along the lines of what I've learned from some Beethoven pieces that are are complex and just really understanding what was possible with music and that there actually are no limits whatsoever. Of what you can do with it. Um, before I move on to the next song, because uh wow, we're like 20 almost 27 minutes in, and I haven't even talked about a second song yet. <laughs> That's because the first one's, you know, 21 minutes. But um, I haven't talked about the artwork for the album cover. I've kind of gotten away just by pure excitement of getting into the music. I've gotten away from going over the album art first in recent episodes. I think it's just because I'm so excited to talk about the songs or curious to hear. Um, songs from bands that I'm not used to. I'm just excited to jump in and hear what they're all about that I forget about the artwork. So I've been in the habit of pulling the picture up before I start the podcast so that it'll be there as a reminder to me that I need to remember to talk about it. So this is a really a weird concept. Um, it's It's an armadillo. Well, it's half armadillo, half tank. So the top half is like the armadillo shell and the head of the armadillo, and then the underbelly and the front, like the chest area is a tank. Um, what I've always found weird about it is that um, while the the gun on the side that you get to see, which is like you're getting the left profile, you know, front pro, front end profile of the tank, um, it has a gun that's pointed slightly outwards. It's not pointed in the direction it's moving, but um, with the length of the gun, I've always felt that this was a little off because you should be able to see at least part of the barrel of the gun on the right. Cause this gun sticks out like a long way. So it makes me wonder, is there a gun on both sides of the tank? If not, um, why not? Why wouldn't you have a gun on both sides instead of, you know, if you're not going to have one on the top that can cover everything, you're kind of vulnerable on your right side. So unless there's a gun or something else imagined, uh, into the tank, I always thought that was a little bit weird um, but it's uh, you know it's it's like a solid looking metal tank on uh, treads, you know, like you would have like a regular army tank, uh, and then the armadillo shell, which is you know, hopefully protecting the thing that's alive. It looks like the nose looks like uh gun barrels as well, so that might also be a weapon. uh it might be like one of those things like when you see um like a, a monster truck rally and they put like these crazy looking uh you know heads and things on the the vehicles that it's not really an armadillo, uh, supposed to be an armadillo. Like that's just the, um, emblem that they chose for the tank. So they built that up, hid the gun in the nostrils. I don't know. Uh, I I've never known what or why the concept was don't necessarily know how it exactly relates to the album. Never really cared. But what's interesting is in the back you have, uh, so you're on a, uh, like a multicolor striped ground, And, um, you, you see the shadow of the tank. So the light's coming from behind somewhere you see written out in bone fragments, the title of the album Tarkus. And then behind that, um, you see a, a skeleton of some kind of animal. Um, I don't think that's another armadillo, but it's, uh, it's got kind of a crazy tail. Um, I'm assuming the tail is on the right and it looks like the face and some sort of snout on the left. But there's also um, like floating grains of sand, like almost like the wind is blowing it into pieces. Um, Not really sure, but there's no flesh on it. It's all just bone. So you figure it's been out there baking in the sun for quite some time, fully picked apart by whatever animals live in this uh, in, in this world that they've created. The band's name does not appear on the album cover, which I always thought was interesting. But this is certainly something when you when you're perusing vinyl in the record shop and you come across this cover it's going to make you wonder what's going on. So for that point, it serves its purpose. Um, I don't know what the concept is. All I can say is I've always liked the cover. I thought it was cool. It has a lot of open space. Um, I liked that they didn't make it all hustle bustle and filled with things in every square inch. Um, there's really not much to it. It's pretty simple. Um, which, uh, which school, because you can just kind of peruse it and enjoy it while you're listening to the album without thinking about things too much. um, So that brings us to song number two out of the seven. This one is called Jeremy Bender. (laughs)
1: Jeremy Bender was a man of leisure.
0: Very saloon feeling with that ragtime piano. There's some stomps and claps and stuff in the song as well. Uh, this is just such a really interesting song to put after a song like Tarkus because it sounds so different. It, it changes the direction of the album completely. Now you have no idea what to expect. They're not just like a full-on heavy-hitting progressive band with some soft parts in the songs these guys can do a variety of things and you really get that understanding when you go from Tarkus to Jeremy Bender. Um, it, plus it's, it's just a cool storytelling song. Um, I like that. It's pretty short. It's only uh, a minute and 50 seconds. So, uh, just under two minutes and, um, yeah, just a, a pretty fun tale. I, I like, um, I like what Carl plays during this on drums because it's just really whimsical and, uh, it, it has a beat, but it kind of doesn't, it's, it's just a very playful song. And, um, I've always liked that great vocal, of course, from Greg Lake as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, just a a pretty cool saloon feeling song makes you want to order, uh, you know, a pint or a sarsaparilla or something like that before you go back out on the dusty trail. But I love the sound of the, uh, the ragtime piano. That's, that's always a plus. That brings us to song number three. This one is called Bitches Crystal. ghostly images die another great lyric uh yeah so this is interesting because now we're kind of getting uh, a little bit back to the progressive and the jazzy side of things uh very uptempo obviously a really exciting song to listen to Um, but we're keeping with the ragtime piano sound in this song uh very jazzy drumming lots of snare work on the song um, so you, you think back only a couple of songs ago to Tarkus where it was just this big percussive and synthesized and vocal adventure. Uh, now the last couple songs have been a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say Wild West, but they kind of have that feeling, you know, a lot of snare drum playing, ragtime piano, uh, good storytelling, that kind of thing. So, uh, but I love the energy of this song. Um, it's, it's definitely one that can get you pumped up. It's a great one to follow Jeremy Bender. Um, I love the song order on this album. I should say, um, I think that they really nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And I'm glad that they didn't say save Tarkus for the end. I'm glad they used that as the album opener instead of letting it build up to Tarkus because, um, I don't know. I think that's just too common to put the, the Epic song at the end. So it's nice to have that at the beginning. Um song number 4 is called The Only Way Hymn HYMN Boy, that took a dark turn. Um, very Johann Sebastian Bach esque, and uh, love the organ sound on this. Um, again, you know, very haunting. There is a, a great vocal in the song, and then it gets jazzy. You wouldn't think so from what you just heard, but the song actually does get a bit jazzy. Carl um, Palmer plays with brushes on the snare instead of sticks, and uh, at least it, at least two parts of it, I'm I'm positive he's playing with brushes. And um, there's a a just great piano part that comes up. It gets very, very jazzy, I should say. But it's uh, again like the so we've taken another contrast, kind of closer to uh, Bitches Crystal and Jeremy Bender than Tarkus. But there, there definitely are some parts in here that are very progressive, very tight playing between the the band members. Um, But we're getting a really nice variety of music. It's like all right, if you don't like the heavy progressive stuff, we're going to slow it down and give you some uh, ragtime stuff. And if you don't like that. Well, we're going to give you some some Bach, you know, whatever, we're, we're going to give you a great variety on this one. And Greg Lake's vocal performance on this song is nothing short of stunning, absolutely beautiful singing, uh, exactly what you need for a song like this. Now, this song does fade into uh, song number five, which is called Infinite Space Conclusion. So now we're getting more back to that progressive feeling of Tarkus while keeping that gentle sound of some of the rest of the songs that we've heard. Um, the whole thing is really based around that main uh, piano melody and that, that's those striking accent notes, which really stick out. Um, but it it does, uh, you know, drum wise does get pretty adventurous, uh, really cool groove on the bass, no vocals. So uh, we don't uh, hear Greg Lake sing, but we definitely get his input on the song through the bass guitar Um, this is a lovely song. This is a song that you can just kind of, you know, put on and, uh, enjoy and and follow it, you know, really deeply and dig into all the nuances of it. Or you could just kind of put it on and let it take you where it takes you. It's one of those rare songs that gives you the opportunity to do both. Um, I find usually a song is too busy and I need to study it or a song is really simple and I need to uh, just relax and let go of it, you know, and just go along for the ride. This one, um, you know, I could kind of like go along for the ride for a few bars and then I'll get back into the technical aspect of it. Uh, So for me, that's a pretty rare quality in a song. Have no idea what causes it or how to create it. um, But for whatever reason, that's what this song does for me. Um, Our next song is called A Time and a Place. this is getting, uh, even more back towards that Tarkis feel again, uh, with these, these, uh, long, fast drum rolls and the, the intensity, uh, in the vocals as, as we've been building back up. Um, but a really cool song. There's a really cool, uh, part where there's a, like two brass synths are playing together. And I normally don't like brass synths, but they really, really work for this particular part of the song. Uh, Carl Palmer is absolutely on fire. This guy has so much damn energy. And even when I saw him, you know, a couple of years ago, it was, it was just unbelievable how much power and, and stamina he has, you know, um, I know that he was at least for a while, he was really into martial arts. So he was doing a lot of working out. I would imagine a lot of stretching, a lot of staying limber, um, but also, you know, building muscle and stuff at the same time, um, balance, obviously very important, uh, in martial arts. So, uh, I, I know health was very important to him and, um, yeah, just, just really, uh, uh, amazing to watch that man play. I know that they were doing another tour. I don't know where they're at right now, but, um, they've, they've done a couple tours of the States here since COVID. They haven't been back to, uh, the Midwest or the West, but they've been, uh, all up and down the East coast. And, uh, I would highly suggest if you get the chance to catch the Emerson Lake and Palmer legacy band, do it. I know he was talking about doing some kind of hologram thing uh with Greg Lake and Keith Emerson. Uh I don't know if he ever ended up doing that or not, or or what he decided with the show, but he said he was going to be playing back on stage with his friends and um referring back to the original Emerson Lake and Palmer band. So um I, I heard another rumor that there was like live footage of them playing that they were gonna be broadcasting on the screens um of Keith Emerson and of Greg Lake and Carl would be playing along to that so that it was like bringing the three of them back without doing the hologram thing which I think would be I, I guess much better I don't know the hologram thing seems really weird to me um I don't know that I I would want to pay to see representations of people uh, if if they if they can't be there I'd rather have somebody on live instruments like you get with the standard Emerson Lake and Palmer legacy band Uh, But that's just me. I know there was a lot of controversy with the Dio tour. And um, I mean, me personally, I just, I just don't think I would have wanted to see that. I was fortunate enough to see Ronnie live one time, but even if I hadn't, I don't think I'd want to go and see a facsimile of him unless it was a tribute band. um, Because I I wouldn't want him fake being there. I think that would be, you know, just not an insult, but It would just be depressing to see that. It's just a constant reminder of the fact that he's gone and he's not there to perform. Um, So I don't really see the point in that, you know, just get a different singer and and go do a tribute to him, uh, even if you guys were in the band. Uh, But that's just my opinion. I mean, it it, it did well enough, you know, to keep going for a while. So, um, you know, good for them. So uh, but yeah, a, a time and a place, really cool song, very energetic. As we head into our last track on the album, this one is called Are You Ready? was that piece he played in there? Was that like the British fight song or what was that? I I I know it's usually played on uh, like a bugle. I want to say it's the British fight song. I don't know if you guys know, let me know cuz I it's going to bug me. Um I think wow, I think Mozart even played that or they used it in Amadeus um when he was making fun of Salieri without trying to make fun of Salieri. Uh, in, in any case, um, I could be wrong. That could be a different piece. But uh, yeah, this is cool. This is like a return to 50s uh, music. You know, you you very much get the uh, Jerry Lee Lewis piano style in here. Uh, Keith Emerson is just on fire on piano on this one. Glad he didn't use the ragtime piano, though, because I don't think that would have worked uh, quite as much. I think it would have changed the whole feel of the song and uh, really taken away from it. So I like that he was back on a regular piano for this one. Um, really great groove, really powerful vocals. Um, you know, it's a it's a great, fun and powerful way to end this really eclectic album. You know, when you when you hear Tarkus, you wouldn't expect you would have a Jerry Lee Lewis style song on the on the same album at all. Um, but these guys really really take you around uh, to some different uh, hot spots in music to uh, to take you through the whole album. Um, and I really dig it. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, most of the time I just listen to Tarkus because by the time that's done, I'm like, okay, I want to hear that again. Or, okay, I, I kind of need to take a break because this is a, a little bit of ELP overload for me. So um, I don't listen to a lot of the other songs on the album that often, but every once in a while I'll give the whole thing a run through. I don't dislike the other songs, but they're not typically ones that I'm like, oh, I really, really want to hear Bitches Crystal right now. Um, although it is a great one to, you know, just kind of get you moving. So if you're, uh, you know, you have a chore, like you need to clean the house or, uh, you know, do the dishes or whatever it is, uh, that's a good one to put on. That'll get you motivated. But uh, yeah, great album. Um, You know, even though I don't listen to a lot of the other songs, the whole thing really has some meaning to me because I've been listening to this one since I was very young. It's obviously, you know, uh, opened my eyes in a lot of ways musically with the ragtime piano and those, you know, song feels the jazziness of it, the progressiveness of uh, some of the parts and some of the songs. Um, just a, a great album. It's really a nice departure from like top 40 radio or whatever I was listening to at the time. But um, yeah, very cool. So I'll probably um, review Brain Salad Surgery at some point. Um, I don't know for a fact that I will, but I probably will. Um, that would be the other ELP album that I know um, pretty well. But um, yeah, that was it for, for Tarkus. I hope you guys enjoyed my uh, walkthrough and the little spots that I picked out from that epic title track to listen to. Uh, I like I said, I mean, if you're if you're interested in learning anything about um, intense progressive music or uh, just like ELP or really like a song that takes you for a ride, uh, go ahead and listen to that full thing. And obviously, you know, if you like these other tracks, the more Western stuff, uh, the more, you know, brushes on the snare, ragtime piano kind of stuff. You've got uh, plenty of options on this album. Uh, Check it out. It's great stuff. Guys, we will be back next week with another show. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Have fun. Cheers.